Welcome to Build Big Ideas. This is Scott Snelling. And this is Jason Toth. We explore infrastructure. I want to talk about it the roundabout. I moved to Fort Collins and every given day when I'm taking the kids to school, I navigate two of them. And I, as an engineer, have studied a little bit of traffic engineering and I've pretty much grown to enjoy and really believe in roundabouts. So I'm already stating that I'm a bit biased on this, but that's coming from an experiential and an irrational engineer's mind. I just really started to think about them. And then recently there was an article published by ASCE on the modern roundabout. It just really brought to mind. This is a topic that made famous by the European vacation, national lampoons. Look kids, Big Ben, Parliament. And that movie was it was in 85, believe it or not, but it really captured a generation's feelings on roundabouts. And I can't think of a single traffic device or feature that has a more visceral feeling, either in love or hate, all these emotional response to a roundabout. Because I feel like in, in America, more people I talk to hate them. They're the worst ever. I'm scared I'm gonna miss a turn. They're dangerous. Or it's so European. <laughs> we don't need those in the US. I just found it fascinating that there's an actual emotional visceral response to this. More than anything else, I mean, stop signs, stop lights, they don't have, well, maybe you might argue over putting them in and their location, but the fact that they exist and that they're used don't have this emotional response. But I don't know, what are your thoughts on why there's such strong emotions associated with these roundabouts? First, I should probably out myself as a complete Anglophile. I lived in England for a year. I spent a year of college at the University of Manchester in England. One of the first things I did when I landed was I wanted to buy a bicycle. So I went and got, this is before really the internet. So I had to go buy like a penny trader or whatever, some little newsprint thing. I found a bike for sale out in the suburbs of Manchester somewhere. I figured out somehow I bought a map, figured out how to get out there on the train walked from the train station to this guy's house where I bought this bike off him, used bike. And then I hopped on the bike and was trying to figure out how to get back into the city of Manchester and riding on the left side of the road, coming upon roundabouts. It made a big impression on me. I, I managed to, and it was a big city at the time. I'd never lived in such a big and dense city before in the city yeah. center. It was a life experience. Something like that made a big impression on me. That's what jumps into my mind for roundabouts, but I've definitely seen them a lot more in the U.S. in the years since then. I think they have their place. They're probably not the answer for every intersection, but they're a good tool to have in the toolbox. That's my yeah. thoughts on roundabouts. I think I did a little bit of reading as we were con contemplating this topic, talking a little bit about the history of roundabouts. And, and I think there's an important distinction in that history. The modern roundabout has evolved, but it started as traffic circles or rotaries. That was the first iteration of a roundabout, if you will. They just really functioned as a circular road. In the US, first time you saw those East Coast Columbus Circle in New York City, 1905 is the date when it was constructed and put into service. DuPont Circle is another classic in DC. If you want to go over to Europe, Arc de Triomphe is probably the most famous one in Paris. But Lots of them in the UK. Several of them started to be put into place, and I'm talking traffic circles, or also known as rotaries, 
in the early 1900s and were put into place all the way until about the 1950s. And then there was this ceasing of construction of traffic circles and rotaries across the world, really worldwide. It wasn't just the US. And I think it became one of those things where they were hazardous and they gained this impression as we no longer use them because they're too confusing. There's too many accidents. They're not predictable enough. And the key distinction with a traffic circle that we were talking about is that you actually stop. There's stop lights, there's stop signs of some form that stops traffic in the circle. And then there's Frank Blackmore. He's a civil engineer. Then he was an RAF pilot in World War II. After he moved beyond that, he joined a traffic engineering research outfit in the UK. And in 1966, he took it as his personal mission to improve these traffic circles. And he developed what is now, he called it the mini roundabout because traffic circles are much larger than the modern roundabout because of all that traffic that's held up in the actual circle. He developed what is the modern roundabout. And one of the key concepts that he implemented was what's called, he called the priority rule or also known as the give way rule. And that also became the main distinction between what is most people view as a traffic circle that the National Lampoon sketch was based off of and a lot of the confusions founded in. And that principle, the priority rule, giveaway rule is once you enter the traffic circle, you keep moving. The traffic yields, those that are entering the circle have to yield to those that are in the circle. And that didn't exist before. And it's crazy to think back that it didn't exist, but that had that one rule changed the landscape. And so that was the birth of the modern roundabout, which they started to put into place in the 60s in the UK and started to see a lot of traction there. And it took a little while for it to catch on in the US. There was an effort after that to bring it to the US that lasted a couple of decades. And I think it's because you saw some of those bad examples in DuPont Circle and Columbus Circle. But it was then it was 90 and first in Nevada. And they put in, in uh, two of them in a neighborhood in Nevada in 1990. And so then you started to see a growth in about 150 or so in the late 90s. And by estimate, there's about 7,000 in the US today. Now, by comparison, France has got about, I think they're the largest or the, the most frequent roundabouts or most common. They have about 30,000 and UK's got about 20,000, 25,000. I found that, that progression was pretty interesting in that history. But part of it is to distance this idea of the traffic circle from what is now the modern roundabout. And lots of some of the myths and um, listing a couple of those myths. And then maybe we could talk a little bit more about what composes them and, and why those myths are truly myths. And some of the, not getting too technical, but first, first one that is often a problem is if you've already got an established intersection is, hey, the, the roundabout is too large. It won't fit into the space that an intersection holds. Another one is that it's danger. People don't know how to navigate it. There's more accidents. Accidents are more common. And it's definitely not safe for pedestrians or, or cyclists. A couple of the other ones that I think are myths that are out there is that it slows down traffic. So you don't get the th same throughput through a roundabout that you do an intersection. That's because the driver has to slow down and there's no way to go through it at full speed. The I'd say those are probably the three other. Do you, can you think of any others? Those are probably the three biggest ones. Yeah, you're talking about it in terms of myths. I had tried to make a pro-con list. Yeah. Some of the pros of a roundabout versus some of the cons. For pros, I think 
in general, the data shows that they're one of the safer types of intersections. And this article that we'll reference here by Robert Reed in the ASCE magazine recently, he talks about the experience in Indiana. I think it's Carmel, Carmel. Indiana. Yeah, remember, Carmel. Right? Uh, their local traffic engineer has a passion for roundabouts, put them all over the place. The mayor and, does. He lives in the UK. Yeah. He's the and, mayor. <laughs> and then the data from that town is that their crash statistics went way down. And they, from what they were previously, and they're much lower than in neighboring Indianapolis. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. And, if we, uh, we pause, if we pause on that, yeah. I, I did a little bit more reading because we were talking very significant reductions. And just for context, in Carmel, hundred thousand or so population, and three percent of all the roundabouts in the United States are in this town, this city. <laughs> so they pretty much have no other intersection but roundabouts. But there is a study that the Institute for uh, Highways, I think Insurance Institute for Highway Safety referenced in that article I mentioned, that they they looked at 24 roundabouts that had been converted from traffic lights. And they reported that there was a 72 to 80% decline. So not a single digit, not a 10 or 20%, but a 72 to 80% decline in vehicular crashes. And this is specifically ones that cause injury and and we could talk a little bit more about why that's the way, but that's pretty significant. So these are fatal crashes, injury crashes, but even a 35 to 47% reduction in all crashes after an intersection is converted to a modern roundabout. Now, it's not just in Carmel, but that's more broadly over these 24 roundabouts in other states. So I think you're right. I think the evidence is pretty clear they're safer. We could talk a little bit about technicals, but go ahead. Yeah, I seem to remember, and I don't have a reference because this is something I read years and years ago, but there was a research paper out where they'd done a study, not on roundabouts, but in just totally uncontrolled intersections. Mm-hmm. And you would think if you had an intersection and you just took off all the stop signs and stoplights or whatever and, and had it totally uncontrolled, that would make it less safe. But my understanding is the data was that it actually made it safer because people realize that that they have to pay attention. Like they're not relying on the uh, mechanisms for safety. They need, they realize they need to rely on their own attention for safety. And so it's, it might be a more stressful intersection for the drivers, but it actually ends up safer because everybody's paying more attention. And Absolutely. so I think the roundabout, it's a same thing, but in a more controlled than just totally uncontrolled. I agree. I, I was trying to put this in the context more broadly in, in intersections. So I mentioned the other 7,000 roundabouts in the United States at present. By comparison, there's 300,000 signalized intersections. And so you can see way, way more. And just looking at this study by the Federal Highway Administration, they cited that about 50% of fatal or injury crashes occur at those intersections. And that's a lot. And there's a lot of room for improvement there. But getting back to your point, when we understand that in the larger picture, there is a behavioral aspect to this. And I I think you're right. I think that part of what our fear about the roundabout is it's unfamiliar. And human default is status quo and familiarity. So this unfamiliar, it's generated a negative opinion of it, but the benefit of the unfamiliar. So a lot of the things that are uh, negative in our mindset and emotion reaction to it are positive from a safety aspect because it focuses us to pay attention because it is unfamiliar. We're not in autopilot and we're not relying on, as you mentioned, the light signal itself. 
which gives us the illusion of safety that, oh, this light is there, but it's paying attention to it. But the problem with it is if you don't, it could be easily injury invoking or fatal when you talk about high-speed T-bone type accidents, because there is a natural um, intersection, truly by name of the word, but we have two flow of traffic that could collide without the, the help of this light. But with a roundabout, at least, it's a I've heard it described as the natural equalizer. There's a, there's a sort of target speed in that 15 to 20 mile an hour range to navigate this. And all vehicles, as they go to it, enter it, essentially have to slow to that speed to navigate it because of it's how tight the circle is. And here again, this gets to maybe a complaint of, oh, they're too small. That takes, slows me down to get through them. That size and that constriction, if you will, also forces the behavior of, it's not wide open in the sense that I can just gun it. I got to slow down just to navigate it, just like a, a crowded street would or parking along the side of the street or a narrow lane versus a wide lane. And so the benefit of that is, is then everybody has to slow down. And so there's, you don't have those T-bone high-speed collisions. Everybody's moving about the same speed. That speed is more reasonable, allows more reaction time, allows you more time to decide, more time to see pedestrians and so forth. There's some clear, I think, safety benefits from it. Yeah. Yeah, Clearly, we're big fans of a traffic circle from a safety standpoint. Yeah, that part I think is pretty clear. One of the uh, pros that Robert Reed mentioned in his article was less energy, and that's less energy used by the vehicle. And that wasn't something that had occurred to me previously, but because you don't really have to stop on that most of the energy in a car is in the stopping and starting. And so you might have to slow down and then you'll speed up a little bit, but there's a lot less energy in that than basically having most of the cars stop most of the time and then sit there and idle and then accelerate away. Absolutely. I think that's ties to the traffic flow aspect of it, but the energy is a cool angle on it. And as I was reading that article, I thought put some numbers to this and read another study where they replaced either stop signs or traffic signals. And it did reduce the delay, but it also reduced the amount of stopping because you had a between 14 to 56% reduction in the amount of stopping. How I navigate it in the morning, going to school. So there's a decent amount of traffic between commute. Now it's a smaller city. I can count on one hand the number of times in the last several months where I've actually had to stop at the yield sign because the traffic circle was so busy. And there's traffic approaching it, moving around it, but it's just rare. You just don't stop that much. You're constantly moving. And that's that conservation of energy that that occurs as a result. Yeah. And then one of the other pros is that you don't need electricity like you would for a, a traffic light. Right. So it's just one less thing to maintain and go wrong. Obviously, if there's a shrubbery or so- things like that in the middle of the roundabout, then it would need some level of maintenance, depending on what sort of treatment you did to the middle of the, the roundabout there with regards to landscaping, but you wouldn't need to provide power. Yeah. I, and that's that gets into the cost aspect, which... For a long time, it was considered that roundabouts were more expensive than a traffic light. It's actually, as they refine this process, if you can fit it in the same footprint, so it's not that much more groundwork, it ends up being about the same upfront cost to put in a roundabout for signal traffic because you benefit from you don't have to put in all the turn lanes that that you have in a signal traffic. And then from a life cycle cost, it tends up to be cheaper because you don't have all the maintenance work that's required, plus the monthly electrical bill of, ma- of that signal that's uh, for the life of that intersection. So uh, agreed. I think that 
the evidence as they've done the life cycle analysis is that in the long run, a traffic circle is less expensive unless you've got a very high maintenance in, in the middle shrubbery or a statue that has to be polished every week, <laughs> which is interesting about the, there's a whole conversation about what to put in the middle. Yeah. And I, again, until I'd read this article, I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah. The visibility factor that it's safer to block the view. Counterintuitive. You don't want to put a tree or a statue or something hard that if it hits, it could kill a driver in case somebody does just totally space out and go flying straight through it. But you do want something there like a shrub to to block the view so that the drivers are not distracted or, or dazzled by the oncoming headlights at night. Yeah, it's cool because you want them to locally focus on entering into the intersection, which completely makes sense, versus being distracted by some lights or a car that's not even really affecting you. It's all the way across. I remember when I first saw roundabouts, before I really thought about this, I remember seeing what looked to be like a sidewalk around the interior of it. And it was just the sidewalk to nowhere. It's just one circle. And uh, who uses that sidewalk that's around this interior uh, shrubbery or whatever it was? And trucks. Yeah. So there you go. And it's actually very purposeful. So anybody sees what looks to be a sidewalk, maybe it's a different color. It's got perhaps a very gently sloped curve on it. That's a purposeful design feature so that while roundabouts tighten that circle and really make it uh, forced cars to slow down. That's not great for long vehicles, buses, trucks, semis, and so forth, but they can still navigate it because that interior sidewalk looking piece is actually a purposeful medium that allows wheels for large vehicles in particular to ride up on so they can navigate the traffic circle in a tight turn. So pretty cool design feature. Yeah. What else do you have on the pros, Scott? That's all I had for pros and let's, cons was hard yeah. too. I don't know how many, if you've got some cons i i had the the more property but maybe you're better informed on me that they don't always need to to take more property yeah um, I, I the reading i was doing and it, again you can have different size roundabouts so the reading i was doing is that and with the intersection with the turn lanes that really adds a lot of property and when you overlay some of these traffic circles that they're many times less or at most the equal to what that, that range because when you think of an urban area and you think about replacing something versus new construction, you have right-of-ways, there's a lot of complicated things you have to consider and plan it. But so the numbers I was seeing were mini roundabouts, which are the smallest have, and they're measured by diameter. So you got mini roundabouts of about 45 to 90 feet in diameter, single lanes, which are the same roundabout. A lot of what I see here in Fort Collins are in that 90 to 180 foot in diameter. And those multi-lanes can get up to that 300 foot. But many of those, when you have a light intersection with turn lanes, 300 foot diameter, so you can get two lane uh, roundabouts in there without much problem. So I don't know, I'm not listing that one specifically as a con, but what else did you have on there? Did you have any other that cons? some people find them confusing or maybe pu public opposition due to right. unfamiliarity would be a way to phrase that, or it's just not part of the the American tradition or whatever. And then the truck turning radius I had listed, but with the proper design features that yeah. can be overcome with the apron. The, uh, otherwise I was struggling to think of too many cons. Uh, as I was thinking through it, the, the public acceptance, I think it was a study out of Minnesota where they did a comparison of that public acceptance aspect. There was 30% support for replacing an intersection with a roundabout from the get-go. So not great support, but once the roundabout had been in place, and I can't remember for how long, but it was, yeah, it was a good solid several months to a year, 
that it was 70% acceptance. Okay, this was a good decision. And so I think that's pretty telling. And I'll be honest with you, I think a lot of that is tied, as we were referencing at the very beginning, to something called the availability heuristic, which I know you're familiar with, but this general idea that people form an opinion based on the information that is available. We all do this every day, all the time, but we don't have a lot of them. And so you don't encounter them a lot. They generally are unfamiliar to you. Then because they're unfamiliar, you tend to have a negative opinion of them. But also there's that availability heuristic of those cultural references. So whether it's National Lampoon's European Vacation, which I think is a pretty highly viewed, maybe even called classic movie, even to this day, uh, I think there's a Simpsons episode that goes into getting stuck on, on a roundabout a traffic circle. In both cases, they're traffic circles in England. And they're mincing two things that are very different at this point. That right there can really cause that uh, lack of public acceptance from the get-go. But people come around once they see, hey, this isn't so bad once they use it more. The other thing, as far as a negative, we haven't talked to the specific design features, but they don't work in all locations. You couldn't universally replace all intersections with roundabouts. Part of it is from a traffic engineering perspective, you've come up with a certain way in which you're ensuring flow of traffic. In some areas, you are really seeking to form platoons of cars or bunches of cars. So if you think of a signal intersection, a light, the cars will arrive at this intersection in random. But they'll be stopped there at certain directions and form groups naturally because they're waiting for the signal. Those bunches of cars then can move as platoons, groups of cars, and they'll be able to take advantage. And you have to have fatter roads, you have to have multi-lanes to do this to form this group, right? Otherwise it's a very long single file line. And the benefit of that, if they're working or moving in platoons is that you get signal progression, which is just as we know, when you hit a lot of green lights in a row. And if your traffic flow is designed on this concept that you're gonna form platoons and these platoons are gonna be able to move at the posted speed limit for several intersections, and we all love it when we hit six greens in a row, that it's tough if you throw a roundabout in there because that's gonna break up the platoons by nature of what it is. And so you almost have to decide, am I gonna go with a more traditional lighted set with these platoons and, and allow flow that way? Or am I gonna just use roundabouts? So I guess what I'm trying to say is you can't mix and match the two too heavily in an area and, and get the same benefits as far as a flow perspective. But if you decide to replace all the intersections with the roundabouts, then you'd probably get those full benefits on the flow side. And, and the other thing would be is there's probably some areas where they wouldn't work not just from a traffic flow perspective, but because of the complexity or speed. So I'm thinking specifically very heavy urban downtown grid area. It'd be hard to replace every light intersection in New York City with roundabouts. I don't think that would necessarily work. You add in there that it's pedestrian heavy on top of it. Now, admittedly, I think that the roundabouts in most environments is more safe for the pedestrian. What's nice about a roundabout as you approach it is it's wide open in the approach. You have some signage to tell you you're approaching it. You can't really see the other cars as much on the other side of the roundabout, but it's a broad entry because that angle you want to get to in there helps to promote the flow. And there's often in the modern roundabout built in all these pedestrian ways that help to segment the pedestrian, except for where they're crossing over that road. You're not looking at a traffic light. 
you're forced to look peripherally and you're more likely to see the pedestrians to the left and the right of you. If you approach an intersection, the really the, the predominant thing you're looking at is a traffic light. Is it green or is it red? And then you're watching that for it to be green. And you're looking at a single direction and your periphery is not catching a pedestrian. So some of the features that design the roundabout, but then also that aspect of the human behavior, it forces, because you're unfamiliar, you're paying more attention, you're using more of your periphery, and as a result, the pedestrian safety is better. Going back to the con, however, is if, you're, if you've got a lot of pedestrians going across this thing, that would disrupt the flow and probably start to be a problem. Uh, the other area probably wouldn't work well as an expressway, right? You would have to have massive roundabouts to keep the flow on an expressway going. But neighborhood collectors, citywide collectors, all those type of realms, which in suburbs and all that, prime for the use. I had that sort of as a, as a con, but there it's more of just got to be specific with it and deliberate with it in the planning. Yeah, it's one tool that has appropriate uses. I've always found as a cyclist, the, the platoon thing can be so annoying because it's normally designed around like 30 miles an hour. So if you're a cyclist, it's pretty hard to go 30 and yep. stick with the platoon. So then you're missing all the freaking lights, the lights intentionally timed against you. You're more on equal footing with the cars because the platoon concept is very much so car driven. Yeah. It, it's sacrifice of other roadway users. One other thing I would like to bring up on this particular topic with roundabouts, that's an interesting questions. People find out you're an engineer. I was just on a bike ride the other day. I got the question of, so if you arrive at the roundabout, do you yield? So let's say you arrive at the same time as a car to your left. So it's a four lane roundabout. You arrive and it's a yield sign, right? It's not a merge. It's not a stop sign. So you have to yield to traffic that's in the circle as you're entering. But say you arrive and then to your left, not in the circle, but on the lane that enters the circle, you see another car. And the question I received was, do you yield to the car to your left? Allow them to enter the circle, pass, then it's, assuming it's clear, then you enter the circle yourself. Sort of along the concept of a stop sign, you yield to your left, to your right, based on who got there first. So let's say maybe that car got there slightly earlier than you. And I found that was an interesting one. I hadn't had that question before, but my answer is no you'll be able to enter that roundabout and move forward before they reach your position. So you, you don't have to look very far. You're not looking to the other entrance roads to the roundabout. That interior lane is what you're focused on. And you only have to look for a traffic flowing one way. And at intersection, you have to look both ways. Truthfully, even if you have a green light, you're assuming all the other behavior is good and nobody's going to just plow in you full speed. You, you still are paying attention a little bit to the left and the right, whereas in a roundabout, you know, it's one way. So I thought that was another aspect that was unique to it that I am, again, a big fan of, and I think it promotes the safety aspect, but and it was all brought about by that question of a friend of mine. The last thing I have is there's something called the magic round. Wow. Have you heard of this? No. And I came upon this and same individual that I mentioned from the UK that brought about the priority rule, Frank Blackmore. And another invention of his, which in my mind goes the opposite of the mini or modern roundabout, is this magic roundabout. We can find a picture that we can post for this thing in England. It is a roundabout of roundabouts. And so it is one large roundabout that has five roundabouts interior to it. 
Wow. So again, you see this and now you're going to be like, I'm not about roundabouts at all because it's totally confusing. But this is a very unique one. I think it's the only one in the world, but it is also incredibly confusing. I cannot even possibly describe how it works <laughs> because it, it's all pictorial. You've got to see. And even looking at the picture, I'm not quite sure. But he devised this as another option and it's never been used other than this one spot, but it still exists. So it hasn't been antiquated in the sense that it's been replaced. And it is very unique. So it, look it up. Google Magic Roundabout. We'll put it on the blog. It's part of this. It'll blow your mind. That's cool. We'll do that. Yeah. Thanks for bringing this topic up. It was fun talking about uh, roundabouts. Same. Good talking to you, Scott. Thank you for joining us for the Build Big Ideas podcast. For show notes, please see buildbigideas.com. To ask us questions or suggest a podcast guest or topic, you can contact us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or by email contact info on the website. Please consider signing up for our mailing list to receive a short monthly email with links to the best of what we are reading and writing. Please rate the Build Big Ideas podcast on Apple iTunes to help us find new interested listeners. If you enjoy Build Big Ideas, please tell a friend or two. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Please do not consider anything discussed to be professional engineering or investment advice. Views discussed here are personal and not representative of employers or any other organizations that the hosts or guests are associated with.